Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Join us for a journey. As we go back to the great civilizations of the past, who were the people? What were they? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 30, The First Greek Colony. Previously, on The Fan of History, the Assyrian Empire grew silent. Dido fled Tyre, and slowly, the Greeks emerged from the Dark Age. Well, Dan, a lot, a lot of strange things have happened since the last episode, so what is going on now? Well, Brennan, it's... Uh... This will be a podcast with no information about the Assyrian Empire. That is absurd. Yeah, we talk so much about Assyria because uh, they are um, so powerful and they write so much. But right. we don't have anything. We are in the middle of the 820s BC and we don't know nothing about Assyria. That's, that cannot be good for Assyria. So we'll go back to the Greeks. We did an episode about Greece in the 9th century BC. Mm -hmm. I'll recap it quickly then. Sure, let's do it. The um, uh, civilization in Greece collapsed, in the Bronze Age collapsed in 1200 BC. Uh, some Achaeans, the sort of Greeks that were around at the time, fled eastwards and colonized the coast of uh, Turkey today, then, or Asia Minor. Uh, they founded some cities, including Miletus. Some of them reached Cyprus. Cyprus is mostly Greek at this time. But then the uh, Dorians that invaded Greece, they became... Uh, there was a 400-year Dark Age in Greece, and we're coming out of it now. 
And now we're coming, when we come out of it, the, the Dorians, the Achaeans, the, all the people in Greece are sort of becoming Greeks and becoming one people. Uh, Greece is dominated by, or the most powerful place in Greece is the island of Euboea. And this is a backwater today. And it's been a backwater since 725 BC. Mm. We are in 825 BC. And right now this island is booming. There are two powerful city-states on the island. It's, uh, one of them is named Chalcis. And the other one is named Eritrea, or is it? <laughs> but uh, we will refer to it as Old Eritrea. Okay. Because the problem is that there is no archaeological evidence for settlement at Eritrea uh, in 825 BC. But we notice the influence of the city elsewhere. So it's possible that this city was located somewhere else and then moved to the site of ancient Eritrea. Um, there is some sort of disturbance in a place called Lefkandi uh, at this time. And Lefkandi will figure... Lefkandi is a small village, uh, cl much closer to Chalcis. And it's possible that the Eritreans lived in this place in 825 BC. But the Euboean cities, they are cooperating with each other. They don't uh, fight each other. Uh, and they sail. They say they are the Greek sailors on the Mediterranean. They pretty much all come from Euboea. And they trade. And they trade eastwards and westwards. They go all over the Ionian Sea. And they have contacts with the Phoenicians. And at this time, they, find, they found the first Greek colony. And it's very different from later Greek colonies. And it's founded in Syria, of all places. Syria? Yes, right in the face of the Assyrian Empire. Wow. <laughs> and the Phoenicians. <laughs> that was definitely not Spain. So, <laughs> that was 100% wrong. Right. I guess they could have founded it in India or something. But oh, okay. But this is obviously not a military conquest of any sort. So it's a trading colony. And it's disputed because we, we find uh, in the archaeology of the Almina site, we find these Greek things. And some archaeologists think that this is enough evidence to note that the place had a big Greek population. But other people say that it's just that this place traded with Greece. But I've read all the sides of it, and my personal opinion is that this is a Euboean colony. It's a colony founded by uh, Chalcis and Old Eritrea together. It's actually extremely close to the site of the Battle of Karkar. It's on the same river by the sea. And it seems to be trading in all directions. And it could easily be controlled by the Phoenicians or some local uh, Neo-Hittite state because uh, there is no military presence. There's, there's no attempt by the Greeks to sort of say, this is our territory. 
but it's it's a, a melting pot. It's a trading post, and it's a very international location. It's sort of in the style of the Bronze Age before the Bronze Age collapse. That this is a place where people meet from all around. Uh, there is sign of trade with Urartu, which is still a distance away, with Babylonia, with the Assyrians, of course, and everyone nearby, including Israel. Uh, the name is modern, and there might be indication that the, the name of the place at the time was Putumoy Karon. Uh, yeah, but I'll stick to Almina. <laughs> It's less of a mouthful. It seems interesting to me that this happens exactly when the Assyrian Empire falls silent. Is it... Okay, for, for things like this, and this one specifically, does news travel so fast, even in this ancient times, that people knew now's the time to set up camp? I think the Ubians might have been, uh, well, they were trading with the Phoenicians, mm -hmm. and they then they. This is two years after the empire. Or I, I don't know how exact the archaeological data is, but sure. 825 is the year. Uh, so yeah, I think the Phoenicians could have noticed that. Hey, we're not paying taxes anymore <laughs> to the Syrians. Yeah, all that tax money means they got more money to spend on their goods. Yeah, imagine if uh, Shalmaneser and the royal army would pass by the colony. It's probably very bad times for the business. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of things happen here. And of course, there is an enormous influence on the Greeks. And the Greeks are notoriously hard to influence uh, when we come to later history. For example, when they are conquered by the Romans, they are the ones influencing the Romans. And they, they don't take a lot of impression from the Persians in all their wars, but they do take a lot of impressions from uh, the people of the big empires here, of the Babylonians, of the New Hittites, of the Assyrians at this time. And of course, the one biggest influence is writing it's too early to prove that there was writing in Greece at this time. But the alphabet is around. Uh, the alphabet is in Phoenicia. Mm -hmm. the, the advantage of having an alphabet is enormous over the uh, horrible writing system of cuneiform used in Assyria and Babylonia. Right. And the Phoenicians have adapted this alphabet which makes you it's much easier to learn to read and write literacy is much bigger in Phoenicia than anywhere else and this is of course something that the Greeks see and they go like ah we could use that <laughs> and I could imagine this spreading pretty quickly when you deal with a Phoenician trader and he goes like oh let me just write that down and you're like oh what are you doing <laughs> Oh, this way I can remember what I have. Right. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> that's great. But where's your scribe? But I don't need a scribe. I can learn this myself. Exactly. Actually, instead of having symbols that represent a word or an entire word, not just a word or a word part, and being able to do, you know, like it says, phonetically, 
For anyone, as long as you can learn what each of these symbols sound makes, you can you can write down the word. That's a that's a huge concept. Oh yes. Uh, also, the Phoenicians have, uh, or or the Neo Hittites and the Arameans have the the language of Aramaic, and that is the language of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason it is is because Aramaic is super easy to learn. Whereas the old languages of the area are very hard. So Aramaic will become like the lingua franca of the Middle East. But that will not influence the Greeks too much. There are some words in Greek uh, which comes from Aramaic, but not too many. So the Greeks are notoriously hard to influence. But when you show them this amazing invention of the alphabet, then you, uh, yeah, you can influence them. Yeah, they uh, they see the value. And I think this is the time to mention the Karians. The Karians will come back to our story. And usually when the Assyrians talks about Greeks, they mean the Karians. Uh, the Karians live in southern Turkey today, or uh, southern Asian Minor, the mm -hmm. coast to the south, close to Antalya and places like that. Uh, they have been in Asia Minor before the Greeks got there. Uh, Herodotus says that they come from Crete, but they are very close to the Greeks and th their culture are very close to the Greek. And maybe they sort of assimilate into Greek culture because when they enter the stage in uh, the 7th and 6th century BC, they are very Greek. Oh. They're probably closer to Greeks than Macedonians are close to Greeks. I gotcha. And they traveled the uh, very eastern Mediterranean. But they were around already in 1250 BC because they are mentioned by the Hittites as one of their... Uh, one of the peoples in their kingdom. Uh, there are other people in Asia Minor which will be influenced by the Greeks, the Phrygians and the Lydians. But we'll save them, and the Lycians, we'll save them for later. Because there is one thing coming up in mainland Greece that we need to talk about for three full episodes. Wow. And it's hard to date, of course, as everything in Greece. From the, the Greeks don't start to record history before the beginning of the 6th century BC. But something happens in mainland Greece in 810 BC or somewhere there around that we need to talk about. It's called the Eunomia. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in the 810s. But okay. it will result in a three-episode series on Sparta. 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 <laughs> and these episodes are, one of them is the top YouTube episode on our YouTube channel. Nice. And it's actually the episode we will talk about the legends of Sparta, about the founding of Sparta, mm -hmm. and the kings, and then we'll talk about life in Sparta, what it was like to be a man in Sparta. But then we'll also talk about women in Sparta, and it's the women in Sparta episode that is the most popular on, you know, on our YouTube channel. Because it's hard to be a woman in the ancient world, but it's uh, the best place to be a woman is to be one in Sparta. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
and we'll uh, explain why. But uh, that's uh, that will be upcoming in five episodes, maybe something like that. Okay, sounds good. So, but we are still in the eight twenties. Gotta stay to the present. Yeah, that's we have to go past. back to China for a short mention of the Zhou Dynasty. Yeah, they we have were going pretty new... good. Sorry, so they were doing fairly well. Yes, they have this good king, King Chuan, trained by the Gonghe Regency. And he has to go to war in 822 BC. He fights the Western Barbarians, probably the Xianjun, and another group on the Huai River to the southeast. So the, the Zhou Dynasty has... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Don't have complete control of the Pacific coast in China. Um, king Xuan is the second last king of the Western Zhou Dynasty, and a guy called Yu is the crown prince in China at this time. But we will talk more about him in future episodes. Let's go to Babylon, the Babylon. ancient city. Yes. Ruled by Marduk Sakirshumi I. He was put on his throne by Shalmaneser III, mm -hmm. who kept his oath to Marduk Sakirshumi's father. Uh, we have the Kassites, the old ruling tribe of Babylonia, living in their own kingdom to the east of Babylonia, Namri. We have the uh, Chaldeans. In the marches to the south, always causing trouble, <laughs> hating Assyria. Uh, Marduk Sakurashumi is not the man his father was, but he will remain in power until 819 BC. But at this time, Marduk Sakurashumi notices that something is happening in Assyria. He has pretty good relations to Shalmanes III, and he is not the victim of Assyrian violence. Uh, but 
uh, now there is something going on in Assyria. So maybe it's time for Babylonia to rise to the occasion. Well, well, well. And we'll see what the Babylonian king does in the next episode. Ah, you keep teasing that. <laughs> so we don't have to talk about Egypt, do we? I don't know. Seems pretty, pretty important place there, Dan. Oh no! Okay, I'll talk about Egypt. Oh, okay, let's talk about Egypt. Egypt is a mess and will remain so for a hundred <laughs> years. Poor Egypt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the 22nd dynasty is still around, but it's definitely not going strong. Shoshenk III thinks he's the pharaoh of Egypt, and he rules from Tanis in the delta in the north. But in the south, Takelot II rules the, the south as the high priest of Amun in Thebes. Uh, Shoshenk III will be around forever. He rules the north 837 to 798 BC or to 773 BC. That's how uncertain the dates are. I was about to say, that's a big discrepancy. Yes. Um, the high priest of Amun then is Takelot II, as I mentioned. Uh, there is a inscription by him at the doorway in the Temple of Ptah at Karnak. And at this time, it is clear that he has declared himself Pharaoh. So we now have two people who claim they are the Pharaoh of Egypt. And they both are, in a way. <laughs> He Man. has several wives, as the pharaoh tends to have. Sure. One of his wives is Kara Oma, and she's the mother of a man called Osorkon. And I was thinking about skipping Osorkon. <laughs> Why is uh, that? But I think I have to get into this, because he is important. And he is I don't even know if he's one person or two people. <laughs> so we have two names, Osorkon Third. That is the son of Takalot II, and a guy called Osorkon B. And one theory is that this is the same guy, and one theory is that it is not the same guy. <laughs> and he will then uh, be important in stuff that happens here. So let's talk about him. Uh, his full name is Usurmatre Setapa Numun Osorkon III Siese. Wow. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we'll get into Egyptian names at some other point, but not today. He is declared the crown prince of the south in 823 BC. He is pretty well documented in both his guises. <laughs> uh, there is a donation stele, there are stone blocks in Heracloglis Magna. Uh, and in Thebes, and in between those two places. Uh, as Osorkon B, then, he's the high priest of Amun later. And this Osorkon B character has written a chronicle of his life, and I have not been able to find this text. But I know it exists, and I have, like, passages from it. Uh, he becomes 80 years old, which is quite impressive at the time. No kidding. And uh, in this chronicle, he mentioned there is a rebellion in Upper Egypt in 825 BC. That is right before he becomes the crown prince. Upper Egypt uh, then is the south. 
because you go up the Nile to the right. south. So maybe I should just say southern Egypt, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's widespread damage to property and there is no identification who the rebels are. But he overcomes the rebels and then he becomes crown prince probably as a reward for this. Um, and there is a, a he says that the 23rd dynasty does not rule from Thebes itself and Thebes is the sort of important city in the south of Egypt but from a place called El Hiba uh, the priests in Thebes celebrate the victory of Osokon III and the captured rebels are executed and burned and that's significant because the Egyptians only burn people if they really, really hate them. Because burning an Egyptian is extra bad. Right, they don't get to they don't get to keep all their stuff in the afterlife. Yeah, you can't go to the afterlife. You are removed from the game. You are exiled. You're exiled. Yes, you don't go to the graveyard. <laughs> Brandon and I do a Magic the Gathering podcast, so we have to reference it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know what we're talking about... So if you really want to hurt an Egyptian, you burn him. Because they don't mind death that much, but they mind being burned. And I guess that's why whenever you're fighting a mummy in those old movies, fire, that'll get them. Yeah, burn the mummy. That's the way to get rid of it. <laughs> okay, there is another rebellion in uh, Upper Egypt. Wow. Southern Egypt. In Upper Southern <laughs> And this is the 15th year of Takalot II's uh, rule mm-hmm. of Rokon's father. So uh, read this in your best Egyptian voice. Ooh, Egyptian, huh? A storm broke out in this land, the children of rebellion. They stirred up strife amongst the southerners. There was no omen to warn about this. Did not, Osterkhan says, did not worry of the fighting. Years elapsed in which one preyed upon his fellow unimpeded. The cities were in uproar, turmoil in each of them, every person saying, It is I who will seize this land. We do not know. Oh, stop it. <laughs> we have no idea what Takilot II was doing. Why is Osorkon the one doing all this? Because he's not a pharaoh. But perhaps the pharaoh was just old and let his son do the stuff. Hmm. But this is apparently pretty bad. The south is in chaos. And it is notorious that uh, the pharaoh in the north, he doesn't do anything about this. Because he probably has uh, enough problems trying to control the Libyan overlords. Uh, the Libyan warlords of uh, the north. Mm. Remember, everyone who claims to be a pharaoh at this time is a Libyan. So the 22nd dynasty and the 23rd dynasty in the south, they are all Libyans. But they've been in Egypt since uh, Ramses III brought them there in the 12th century BC. Oh, okay. But they still make distinctions in the depictions of these guys. They are very clearly depicted as Libyans. And there is two identifiers to mark that they are Libyans. Yes. If I remember correctly, it's a feather and they have uh, blue eyes. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's, that's, huh. 
Interesting. And the Libyan grip on Egypt, the, the ruling class, everyone who claims to be a pharaoh, <laughs> uh, will go on for a hundred years. And we have some indication that some native Egyptians actually get into positions of power and then they claim to be Libyan. <laughs> so they depict themselves as Libyans. Which is kind of weird. But they, their mindset is all Egyptian. They are like any other pharaoh. Okay. But there's a, this distinction seems to be very important to them. Whereas we don't really understand why. And of course the Libyans have this obsession with the delta. Uh, the Egyptians never really cared for the delta because they don't want to go on the Mediterranean. They don't like the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. But the Libyans are not as scared of of the the great green. <laughs> the great green. Yeah, that's their name for it. Oh, okay. So, but I guess drowning it's also not uh, not high on how the Egyptians want to die. Yeah, I guess so. And the Nile crocodiles is probably a bad way to go as well. Oh boy! And can you imagine back then they would have been they'd have been all enormous. Yeah. Like, yeah, they figure prominently in the hieroglyphs. Oh, they do. It's, but basically, they're living next to dinosaurs. Yeah, and they are so dependent on that river. <laughs> But we'll, we'll have another hundred years of Libyans uh, ruling Egypt and not doing it uh, as well as Shoshenk the first did. The original Libyan gangster. <laughs> did he wear, he wear thick sunglasses and a lot of swag? <laughs> uh, I don't think that was the Libyan gear. Oh, okay. They could have used some sunglasses. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and that's right. it for today, I think. So that's it, huh? Well, yes. and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Oh my goodness. What is going on that's so amazing in the next episode? It's the Black Obelisk of Assyria. Dun, dun, dun. If you're in London, you should go to the British Museum and check out the Black Obelisk of Assyria because it is standing there in all its glory. That is very uh, awesome. I gotta see yes. it. Have you seen it? No, I was saying I have to. I gotta, I gotta yeah, go. Yeah, I gotta go there too. I've been to London so many times, but I have not seen this because I haven't been there since I started the Final History Project. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to London. Actually, the only, Europe, only place in Europe I've been is Spain. Oh, what were you doing in Spain? Um, I was in, uh, well, started off in um, Madrid and then went over to Zaragoza and then down to Barcelona. I was training students on information security. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, being from a small European country, uh, I have been to most places in Europe, or most countries at least. Yeah. But London is definitely one of my favorites, and the British Museum is a big reason for that. Yeah. Because in the 19th century, the British Empire stole everything in the British Museum. Yes, there are cultural icons from all over the world in the British yes, Museum. <laughs> everything is there. The mummies, the Assyrian stuff. And I'm pretty happy that the Assyrian stuff is not in Iraq right now. Oh my gosh, no kidding. 
All that terribleness that's happening over there. But we will see the Black Obelisk being constructed as a propaganda monument in the next episode. Nice. All right, folks. Please, please, please go to YouTube. Subscribe, like, share it with your friends. YouTube slash uh, fan of history. Also, you actually get... have to search for fan of history on YouTube because the slash thing doesn't work for some reason. Oh, really? Yeah, search for fan of history, all one word. It'll get you there. And also, review us on iTunes and we'll read your review. Even if it's ter even if it if it makes fun of us, we'll yes. still read it. You can make fun of my accent and mine. So if you're Swedish, you can make fun of my accent, and if you're if from not anywhere Swedish, else, you can make fun of. Me. <laughs> you can, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll do it that way. So for this week, I am Brennan. And I am the Swedish guy. And this has been the fan of history. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.